Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's if you've go. got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. So, uh, I don't know, this was, this was sometime back in the, uh, in the late 1900s, um, I was working cattle for a, for a guy, and it was, he had a uh, Corrienti cattle, and he'd raise them up and lease their open steers out and, you know, all of that good stuff. And so we were going to brand, and we were trying to cut the cows off from the calves, and it was kind of a jicky situation because there was not a set of pins and all of this stuff. Well, one of these Corrienti cows, you see... She was, let's just say she was displeased at our efforts, okay? She did not want to be separated from her little bitty beautiful calf that was fixing to get branded. And so I'm out there trying to sort this thing off and she's getting pretty fighty and I'm kind of standing back. And in every crew, okay, if a cow gets snorty with you, I guarantee you there's going to be at least one other cowboy that is going to say the phrase that every cowboy has heard millions of times. She's bluffing. <laughs> She's bluffing. Well, she didn't look like she was bluffing to me. Okay? And so I was kind of being careful. And because, you know, back then I weighed, you know, around 98 pounds. And she weighed a lot. And so anyway, finally he's like, let me show you how to do this. She's bluffing. She got up there. Well, that cow mucked him out. And so he, I said, well... I said, how does that bluff feel now? <laughs> and, and he didn't like it, but I did. Listen, I can actually give you today's sermon in one sentence. Okay? We can actually stop right now, but since y'all came all this way, we'll go ahead and elaborate in a little bit. But I'm going to give you the ending right at the first. Okay? Today, we're going to be talking about the flood. We are in a four-part sermon series called In the Beginning. We did an end-time study, and now we're doing a begin-time study, right? And so um, last week, or the first week, we talked about the, the, the six days of creation and, and them getting kicked out and everything like that. And then we talked about, you know, uh, the wickedness of man where God was like, you know what, this is getting out of hand. I'm going to send a flood. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And here's the ending. Here's the ending. Listen, man. If we can learn anything, anything at all from the flood, it's this right here. He ain't bluffing. God ain't bluffing, okay? Because there was a bunch of people living on the earth that day, except for around eight people, okay? Except eight people that God thought he was bluffing. When he says, don't do this and don't do that, live your life like this, don't live your life like that, man, there are consequences. And the moral of this sermon hinges on this right here. Listen to me. God's not bluffing. He's not bluffing. What do I mean by that? Why did God send the flood? Why did he send the flood? Why was he not bluffing. Well, number one, 
the reason he's not bluffing is because of the wickedness of humanity. Listen, man, the, the sin, and we talked about it in our Bible study, and if you want to be cool, come here at 8 o'clock in the morning. It just it instantly, cool factor goes up by a factor of at least 10. And, um, right, cool beans, right? And so, uh, he was here. The wickedness of humanity is sin is infectious, okay? Have you ever seen that, man? When somebody just starts going down the wrong path, man, they just kind of keep going down that way, right? They get in a, you can get in a groove of, uh, of a godly way of life, but you can also get in a groove of a sinful way of life. And the crazy part about it is both of those things are contagious, Okay, when, when a man is living for God and his and husband and wife are and the kids are, man, I'm not saying things are easy, but it's contagious. But when you start living your life however you want, willy-nilly, do whatever you want to, you don't care, blah, 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 man, that, that is infectious. It's like a cancer. And the wickedness of humanity was extreme. I mean, it started with Cain and Abel when Cain killed Abel, and then it just deteriorated into craziness, basically. The story of the flood in Genesis begins with the wickedness of humanity. I mean, think about this, okay? How bad is it today? It's pretty bad. It's pretty rank, right? I mean, <sighs> I mean, people just, I mean, e evil is not hidden anywhere. It's right out in the open, and it's not just right out in the open. It is celebrated now, and we even have laws protecting people to sin. You know, I mean, it's crazy. The wickedness of humanity, the story of the flood in Genesis begins with the wickedness of humanity. The Bible tells us that the earth was filled with violence and corruption, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. That's what it says. As bad as it is now, how bad do you think it must have been then? For God to say, you know what? <laughs> I can only find eight people in church, right? I'm going to wipe out everybody else because it's a cancer, right? The Bible tells us the earth was filled with violence and corruption. This is a reminder that sin has consequences and we must strive to live righteous lives. Why? Because God's not bluffing. Man, God's not bluffing. If he says, don't eat this coconut in the garden, don't eat the baby fingernails. It'll kill you. And it did. Doomed us all. Just one coconut. It's all over. It wasn't a coconut, but it wasn't an apple either. So I'll call it whatever I want to. The wickedness of why? Why did he send the flood? Listen, man. It, why did he send it? Because he's not bluffing, number one. But number two, because it was his judgment. See, God is a just God. And when you start talking about justice, there's a right and there's a wrong. When you start talking about justice, there's good and there's evil, and God gets to decide. Well, if there's good and evil, if there's reward and punishment, then that punishment must be dealt out just as much as the reward. And in all of the earth, God says that he could only find 
one that was righteous, and that was Noah. See, sin has consequences, and God's judgment is final. In response to the wickedness of humanity, God decided to bring judgment upon the earth in the form of a flood. Now, obviously, he wasn't done with us, or he'd have just wiped out everybody and started over, right? But this is what happens when sin infiltrates the world and when we quit, uh, when we start living by our own nature. Because see, th this is what people don't understand. I think y'all do, and I, and I hope that I just reinforce this. I hope I'm not teaching. But our default setting, our default setting is sin. So if we do not intentionally deliberately follow God, our default setting is our sinful nature. And that's what happens. When you don't follow God, you just keep going off the path. I tell a story a lot of, of a, you know, oh, same old, you know, you ask somebody, how's it going, huh? Same old, same old, you know, same old, same old. Well, see, what happens is, a lot of times we come to a fork in the road. Every single day we've got chances to make a decision. We're going to do it God's way or we're going to do it our way. Our way is sinful. God's way is perfect. Or at least righteous. We might not do it perfectly, but if it's God's way, it's perfect. Right? And most of the time, our default setting, if we're not paying attention, if we come to the fork in the road, we're going to just naturally take the sinful route. It's who we are, right? And then we come back around, but in God's gracious forgiveness and his ultimate patience and love for us, he gives us another chance to choose between his way and our way. And see, what happens is if we're not paying attention and we're not diligent, then we'll go to our default setting because that's what default means. When you don't know what to do, you just do what you always do. And that's a sinful life. And God brings us back around. Same old, same old. He's given us another opportunity to do something right. But see, here's the problem with sin. You ever, one of the great mysteries of life is nose blindness to me. You ever thought about that? Nose blindness is crazy because, you know, you light the candle. Oh, that smells good. That'll be the last time you smell that candle, right? Because you don't smell it anymore. You become nose blind. Well, sin does the same thing with our heart. Because when we come to that choice, when we make that default setting, we don't even look for God's way anymore. We just keep going around and around and around. But don't ever think that because God's not punishing the sin right now, that he's forgot about it, right? Isn't that the ploy of every kid out there? Go clean your room. Okay, dad. He never says anything else about it, so I don't have to do it, right? No, that's not true. Sin has consequences. This was not, and when God judged the world, it's not, I, and I, I said this in the Bible study, okay? Because of the difference in the stupid English language and the beautiful Hebrew language, um, a lot of this stuff comes out as very bland and very just like, the, 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 it's like eating hospital food, right? Well, I like to spice things up a little bit, right? I, I, I like to be spicy. And, and this is the deal. When it said that God decided to judge the earth, the way it kind of reads is like, okay, I've had enough. 
Man, this was not a decision that God made lightly. This went for nearly 2,000 years, right? I mean, this is 1,500 years. I mean, this went on for a long time, and he kept waiting and waiting for people to come back around and do what he said to do. And it didn't work. But this was not for God to destroy the world, all but eight people. It was not a decision that he made lightly, but rather a necessary response to sin and corruption that had overtaken the earth. Now, a lot of people say, this is, this is every unbeliever's argument. And you know what it is. How could a good and loving and just God kill everybody? Right? Well, let me ask you a question. Let's say that you have a herd of horses. Okay? You have a herd of horses. And for some reason, they have to stay in a pen. Okay? It can be a big pen. One of those horses comes down with a contagious disease and starts infecting all the other horses. How long are you going to let that disease run rampant in your horse herd before you do something about it? Not very long at all. Does that make you unloving? Absolutely not. Does it make you uncaring? As a matter of fact, it shows the opposite. It shows how much you do care. Do you think that God thought this was fun to destroy his creation? It was no more. I mean, listen, man, God had to put down his kids because it was nearly, the infection was nearly complete out of probably an estimated 350,000 people, he could find one that was righteous. He was down to one horse. Is he going to let everything die because he's a good and loving and just God? No, he's going to take the others out, not because he wants to, because he has to, or he's going to lose it all. So God is not a mean God because he did away with all these that were infecting everybody else. It is because God is loving and just that he's going to protect his own. We must remember that God is a just God and that sin must be punished. Sin must be punished. Why? Because God ain't bluffing. God ain't bluffing. The third thing that we can learn about the flood is Noah's faithfulness. Despite the wickedness of those around him, Noah remained faithful. What does it not say right there? It does not say Noah was perfect. It doesn't say Noah never did anything wrong. It does not say Noah did everything right. It doesn't say that Noah never dropped a bad word whenever he... Hit his thumb with a hammer building the ark. It says Noah remained faithful. Faithful are you. Can you remain faithful? Man, there's all sorts of things. I mean, I, I heard something this morning of a dear loved one of mine that might have something. We are going to remain faithful with that, that everything is going to be okay, that God has got this. We will be faithful when the world tells us not to be. We will 
do what Noah did. We will trust in God. Not, we're not going to trust in the things that we understand. We're going to trust in all of it, and hopefully we understand a lot of it, or a little bit of it, or whatever. But our understanding, faith doesn't have to equal understanding. Our faith should be complete and let our understanding build towards that. But most people, their faith stops at what they can understand. Noah was instructed to build an ark and to fill it with his family and two of every kind of animal. Well, that's true and not true, okay? Uh, because there was a different group. Do you know what it was? Livestock. Seven of every kind of livestock. Clean livestock. Cows, sheep, goats, no pigs. Just two pigs, right? Because they were unclean. But... Uh, and a lot of people say, well, how did Noah get all those? Come on. Come on. Like, I, I really kind of struggled with this. And, and this is kind of where I, I kind of drew the line. I'm not going to try to convince you that what the Bible says is true. I'm going to tell you what the truth, I'm going to explain the truth of the Bible right? I, I, I'm not going to get up here and try to convince you that God is a miraculous God and he can do whatever he wants and then he built the world in six days. Man, if you don't believe that, then, then we're not on the same road. We can't communicate. So we're going to look at this. And there was two of every animal that God wanted to save on the ark. And people are like, well, what about the elephants? And what about, you know, the woolly mammoths and everything? Well, nobody said you had to find the biggest two on earth. I mean, you think about it. You got a boat, and you're God, and you have a finite amount of space. I really doubt that he, that the two or the seven cows were beef masters. Okay, they were probably low line Angus, right? And six months old, <laughs> you know? I mean, you don't have to have, and I'm not saying that the eggs rolled themselves up on the ark, okay? Probably babies, but God brought the animals to the ark. Noah didn't go, you know what? I don't like you, bird, because you bit me. You're not on the ark, you know? Man, whatever came, God, you know, whatever God sent, God got on there, right? He was instructed to build an ark and to fill it with his family and two of every kind of animal. How long did it take him to build the ark? How long do you think? Interesting about the ark. I'm going to get this wrong. However, what's, what's 450 divided by 6? Does that come out right? I think, or 1 to 7? I don't know, whatever it is, but whatever the ratio the ark was, like one deal wide and six long, right? Did you know that that same formula is still used on ships today? Still used on ships today. That ratio of width to length is based on the ark. I wonder why. Because it works really well. <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> you disprove it. Y'all are using God's stuff with his materials, right? How long did it take him to build the ark? That's right. About 100 years. Well, Jay. I, Jay knew it. He's the one that told me. No, not really. Uh, about 100 years. How do we know that? Gary was there. 
Uh, he must have been one of those eggs. Uh, well, I guess we were all there because we all came from those eight people. So I guess we were all there in some form or fashion. But how do we know it's about 100 years? Because Noah was 500 years old. Noah was 500 years old when Ham, Seth, or Shem, and Japheth were born. He was 500 years old before his three boys were born. Okay? And we know that how long Noah lived after the flood. And when you do that word problem that I'm not going to do, it comes out to about 100 years. So did Noah build it on his own? No, he hired some, some fellas. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he had help. I mean, isn't it so weird that, that we look at stuff so bland? You go build a boat 450 yards long and then do it by yourself <laughs> at 500 years old. Now, how do we know that he didn't start that until after his kids were born? Because God says, build an ark and take you, your wife, your three boys and their wives on the ark. He was 500 years old before they were born. Now, I guess there is a deal about, well, maybe they weren't born yet. You know, God was kind of revealing that. Well, nothing in the text indicates that, right? The text reads as if he's telling Noah because Noah has a wife, three boys, and they're married. That's why he says it. So it's about 100 years that it took to build the ark. But what's the point? Of all of this. Well, Noah's faithfulness is an example to all of us, reminding us that even in the midst of great wickedness, we can remain true to God. Why should we do that? Because God ain't bluffing. He's not bluffing. Well, the flood itself was a catastrophic event. I'm going to tell you just how spicy I think it was because I'm not scared. Because my God is a God of wonder and amazement and miracles and all of that stuff. See, I, I firmly believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old and all of that stuff. And if you want to come talk to me about it, I'll talk to you about radiocarbon dating. I'll talk to you about uranium going into lead, uh, our, uh, changing to argon, trapped in rocks. I can talk to you about all of it if you want to. But 6,000 years old, Right. The flood itself was a catastrophic event. I firmly believe that before the flood, all the land masses were put together because it says the seas were all gathered in one place at creation. Well, the seas aren't in one place right now. They're in different pl plots, right? So I think that Pangea, the whole earth was there. And then the flood, when the waters came up out of the deep and everything like that and water covered the earth, it completely transformed the earth. You can see the mid-Atlantic Ridge that broke apart North and South America from Africa and Europe. And it's crazy. Come to the Bible study and you learn all about that. But the flood itself was a catastrophic event, but it was also a demonstration of God's power and his saving grace and mercy. Because you want to know what one of the coolest things about the ark is? Is that God said, it's time to go in. And did you know that God closed the ark? It's too big of a deal. The Bible says that God sealed them in and protected them from his 
judgment upon the earth. Does that not sound familiar to what Jesus does for us? Isn't he our ark in this world that when we abide in him, he protects us from God's punishment? Because I said, God's not bluffing. Sin, every sin on earth, Christian, non-Christian, every sin you have ever and will ever commit will require punishment. 100%. But the difference for us is that Jesus was punished for our sins. Therefore, we aren't. Sin must be punished. Why? Because God's not bluffing. What else can we learn is God's promise. After the flood, God made a promise to Noah and his family that he'd never destroy it again. He also made us a promise that after we get done on this earth, that we will live in perfection for eternity. How do we know that that promise will be fulfilled? Because God is all, we noticed with the ark and the flood that God comes through on his promises. This promise serves as a reminder of God's faithfulness and his love for his creation. And it also reminds us that even in the midst of judgment, that God's protective hand can keep us safe. Why? Because God ain't bluffing. Now, why is all of this important? Okay, what application beyond what we've talked about already can we make for today? In Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39, this is red letter stuff. This is Jesus Christ himself talking. And he says, in the days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man returns. He is saying, just like back then, until it started to rain, People had a chance to turn back to God, and they didn't. It is no different than today. People have a chance. If you are breathing, if your heart is beating right now, you have a chance. No sin is too big to turn to God. The only sin that won't be forgiven is not turning to God, because it can't be forgiven, because you've got to turn to God to be forgiven, right? That's the only unpardonable sin. But God's not bluffing. Just like the world was wicked back then, and they made fun of Noah for probably telling them that the earth was going to be destroyed, right? Does that sound familiar? Because one day, Jesus is going to come back. And it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late for a lot of people because they don't turn back to him. And what can we learn? God ain't bluffing. Three things. To apply today when it comes to that. Man, start living right. I didn't say you had to be perfect. I said live right. Live intentionally the way God would have us do. We have seen that man's default setting is sin. Righteousness, which just means doing it God's way. That's all that means. Okay? That sin is our default setting. So therefore, righteousness must be intentional and deliberate. 
If you coast, you will coast into sin. Why do you think if we can't coast right now, why do you think God calls it eternal rest? We are commanded to be diligent. I was telling Ty yesterday, we were sitting there. I said, Ty, I'm not kidding, man. Everybody thinks I'm joking when I ask God to come back every day, send Jesus back. I do. Y'all better get right with God because one day he's going to answer my prayer. Right? Now, I may be dead, but he'll still answer it one day. But I told Ty, I said, you know how I remain diligent? He said, how? And I said, anytime I hear a noise outside, I always say, Jesus, that better be you. It's usually an airplane or a car or, but I don't care. And I know that's silly, guys. I know that's silly, but it's my way of being diligent because Jesus says, you must be ready because he will come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. How are you going to remain diligent? Well, I've told you how I do it. You can laugh at it. I don't care. You can use it even better. But I eagerly await Christ's return. We will have eternity rest, but now is the time to be diligent and intentional. So, application for today, start living right. I didn't say live perfectly. I didn't mean go around being holier than that or anything. Man, let's just start with not being afraid and loving your wife and loving your kids. Let's start right there. We ain't got to eat the whole elephant, right, in one bite. Live right. Second thing, trust in God's plan and power. Listen, his plan is to deal with sin in one of two ways. This is God's plan for sin. He's going to deal with it in one of two ways. He'll either punish you for it or forgive you for it. Take your pick. Next. I mean, do I really need to say anything else about that? I mean, that's the two options when it comes to sin. And you're a sinner. You'll be forgiven or you'll be punished. Take your pick. And finally, the third thing. Seek that forgiveness daily. Man, if you're being diligent, if you're living right, the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Why are we still worried about the cares of this world when there's, there's vastly things more important the new cars and new trucks. And I'm, those things are cool. I'm not saying that they're bad. But let's get our priorities right. We've got to trust in God's plan and power. And finally, seek that forgiveness daily and be made whole. Do you feel like something's missing in your life? It's that right there. See, the promise that God made to know in his family after the flood is a reminder of God's desire for redemption and restoration. He wants to forgive you. <laughs> I mean, like it, it, it blows my mind. We messed up, and God's desire is to forgive us so much so that He sent His Son to die for us. How crazy is that? As we encounter brokenness and turmoil in our own lives and in the world around us, we can seek to be agents of that restoration. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> I will use that story from now on, I promise you. As we encounter brokenness and turmoil in our own lives and in the world around us, we can seek to be agents of restoration and healing. 
No! <laughs> that age, that is the default setting. <laughs> By sharing the love of, and truth of God with others. Man, if you have something this great, why are you not sharing it with others? Why are you not sharing it with each other? Why are we not sharing it with each other? See, if we can learn anything about the flood is that God wants to forgive us. He's looking for some righteous folks. He's looking for people that are willing to go the extra mile. Why? Because it's not crowded when you get there. And mostly, it's because he ain't bluffing. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you accomplished on the cross for something we didn't deserve. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your forgiveness. But that's why they call it grace. And God, we understand now that sin will be dealt with in one of two ways, by punishment or forgiveness. And I pray today that each and every person that's hearing this message will reach out to God and ask for that forgiveness that he's waiting to give. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.